Today is uh, Monday, October 25th, and welcome to Zoom with Sarni. Uh, I'm a little late with this, one day late. This should have aired on Sunday. However, I've been a little busy uh, with the opening of early voting uh, this weekend, and of course, uh, my work on the reapportionment committee uh, that you've been reading about, as well as um, just getting ready for election day uh, on, on uh, next Tuesday. So there's going to be some uh, programming changes this week. Um, I'm going to attempt to get my last two wonky Wednesdays done of County Ledge 16 and 17, but I'm not promising anything. Uh, it's very, been very busy uh, with all the added duties of the reapportionment committee. We're working on our Democratic maps to release on Wednesday, and um, it's been a lot of work that we put into those on top of my duties as election administrator. So. Uh, I hope that uh, you're patient uh, and that you'll see that, uh, uh, you know, when we do release this stuff uh, on Wednesday, it's really going to be um, something that we're very proud of. Uh, there are uh, early voting today is 10 to 6, uh, noon, uh, or on Tuesday and Wednesday, it's noon to 8, and then on Thursday and Friday, it's 10 to 6, and then on uh, Saturday and Sunday, 10 to 3. Uh, the reapportionment committee meetings are on Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. in the legislative chambers. That's when we're supposed to reveal our uh, proposed maps uh, that we're supposedly going to vote on the next week, which is crazy. Um, there are three more public hearings uh, that you can make your voice heard. <coughs> the first two on last Friday, one was sparsely attended. The other one was better attended, but uh, it was they were kind of weird because we didn't have maps to talk about. Hopefully, uh, the, the meetings on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week, uh, there will be more to talk about. We're going to have maps. The meeting is uh, 6 p.m. at the Legislative Chambers on Wednesday, 5.30 p.m. at St. Joseph's, uh, or I'm not sure, it's a, it's a church out in uh, Millis. Uh, so, uh, that, you know, that, that, and then on uh, Friday morning, it is uh, the, uh, on Friday morning, we have uh, the uh, East Syracuse Village uh, Court, that's 10 a.m., uh, is our final public hearing that the reapportionment committee is having. So the reapportionment committee, I'm sorry, St. Michael's Lutheran Church uh, in Camillus is the one that is on Thursday at 530. Uh, and then, of course, we have uh, a commission meeting on November 3rd. Uh, agendas haven't gone out for the commission meetings, but uh, it is thought that on November 3rd, Chairman Holzlander is going to have force a vote on the maps. Uh, you know, I oppose doing this this quickly, but uh, you know, we have to we ha we have to follow the agenda that was given to us. So we're going to try to get this map done and uh, and be ready for Wednesday, the 27th, and also the third. There's supposed to talk of another public hearing on November 10th. I don't believe that's a public hearing that the reapportionment committee is doing. I think that's a public hearing that the county legislature is doing because I believe that they're going to call for a special session to vote on this. That's how quickly the county Republican legislatures are moving on this. They are moving out of order again uh, to, to vote on this by November 12th. Um, I, uh, I, I, I'm, 
I'm appalled at the pace. I've uh, said it's not fair to the community. And also, I believe the next legislature should be voting on this, not this one. So the legislature that you are voting for on Tuesday uh, should be the one that is voting on this. But, uh, you know, it's not the end of the story. And we'll have to wait and see what maps they propose and whether they're willing to even negotiate uh, on their maps or if, if they're just going to continue to push these votes. So we'll see, and uh, uh, that that will continue. Uh, next week, uh, obviously, is early voting. Um, and uh, I, I'm sorry, it's election day. We're ongoing in early voting. We have absentees coming in. Uh, over 5,100 people have already voted in Onondaga County as of this point. Uh, that's way more than in 2019, and that's mostly because of absentee. We have uh, over 3,500 absentees in. We only got 3,700 in all of 2019. Uh, so uh, it is uh, quite, uh, quite a lot of uh, absentees. We're, we're expecting uh, up to 8,000. We have 8,000 requests out. Usually about 80 to 90% of those come back. Uh, so we'll see if those ballots start to come back this week. Uh, if you have an absentee ballot, it is due back by Tuesday, uh, November uh, 3rd, postmarked, or uh, dropping it off at our polling places or any early voting site is acceptable. And finally, of course, you know, early voting is continuing. You can participate in that as well. Uh, I, as I said, I only have two Zoom with Zarnies left today's, and then another Zoom with Zarnie with Heather. Allison Water on Thursdays, and then I'm going to take a little break from Zooms until after the election. Uh, I'll still do my commissioner and car updates. I, I might go do that twice a week, like I did last uh, 2020 election, to uh, uh, talk about um, you know the stuff that's going on with the election. Although with the reapportionment issue going on, uh, I may end up seeing if I can get a guest or two to talk about that as it goes forward. Uh, Governor Hochul was in Syracuse yesterday and she mentioned uh, the redistricting process and also said that she's going to sign the bill uh, and has called it up to her desk uh, that will make the county redistricting uh, commission have to take into account New York state guidelines. Uh, and uh, while we can't make the Republicans on that side of the commission do anything, it will allow for us to. Uh, um, to, uh, you know, if they put in maps that are not uh, following New York State guidelines, it will allow us to go to court uh, or allow someone to go to court uh, on that commission. So uh, hopefully she'll sign that bill either today or tomorrow, uh, and we will uh, have this done with. And uh, in, in the debate over whether this bill is actually law will end because it will be law. Uh, it was passed by veto-proof majorities in both legislative chambers, so it should uh, should become law pretty quickly. Um, so, and uh, you know, we're going to have to see what uh, the Republicans on the reapportionment committee, if uh, they're willing to hear the views that the public has given over the last couple of meetings, which has been overwhelmingly negative. Uh, on the process and on the current maps. So we'll see what happens um, come, uh, come November 3rd. So but keep making your voice heard. That's the most important. 
uh, whatever side you come down on this issue, please go to the public hearings. Please make public comment. And continue to uh, give us insight into what you want. Thank you. And uh, enjoy my interview today with Mary Cooper. I'm in Dargan County Legislature District 7. She is a fierce advocate for her uh, region and uh, for all of us, really, at the county legislature. Uh, this has made her a target of uh, some other Republican county legislators. Uh, and uh, I understand that very well. Uh, but uh, she is a fierce fighter. And I'm very happy to uh, have her on the show today. So please enjoy the end. Bye-bye. And I'm very happy to have my good friend, Mary Kuhn, who is the uh, sitting uh, legislative representative of the seventh district. Uh, this is a district that encompasses DeWitt and parts of the east side of Syracuse and parts of the uh, north side of Syracuse. It's got this weird shape. And I think the paper called it a turkey or vulture in flight. Uh, it was a vulture, yeah. And uh, Mary, thanks for coming uh, to Zoom with Zark. Thank you very much for having me. This is a wonderful opportunity and thank you again. Well, Mary, let's get right into it because I think, uh, you know, I, I know you've been, uh, you know, you've actually had a pretty high profile for only being on the legislature for two years. Uh, you've been uh, battling, uh, you know, your Republican uh, counterparts but in fighting for the voters of your district. But let's take a little moment to find out who's Mary Coon. What, what was your background? What, what, before you became a legislature, what were you doing? So where I come from is from the Bronx. I come from a, uh, an apartment complex, a tenement, a, a rent-controlled um, apartment complex in the Bronx in New York City. Uh, my father was a New York City firefighter, as was my grandfather and my uncle. I actually have a picture of my grandfather um, driving a, the pumper truck in New York City, driven by horses. Um, so we're very established. My mother was first generation Irish. And um, so we were very, uh, I never knew I was poor, but we were probably by today's standard pretty poor. Um, and when I went to college, um, back when New York State, um, the, what do you call it, scholarships, actually meant something, I was able to go away to college and because I come from a heavily Catholic family, um, which I think really informs my ethics, uh, regardless of what I think about the Catholic church in many ways, um, I uh, was able to come to Lemoyne College in Syracuse. And I've been here ever since. Um, I started, my, my first job was in mental health. I worked with um, uh, Fairmount Children's Center with a day treatment program for children labeled autistic. And I've stayed in the field of mental health ever since. I've worked throughout um, with, through Upstate Medical Center, through Hutchings, and the bulk of my career was with Onondaga County Department of Mental Health. Um, so that's, that's my background. My background has always been as a public servant, and I consider myself as an elected official continuing to be a public servant. And two years ago, you uh, jumped into the race. Uh, you actually uh, were not the endorsed candidate. You, uh, you ran a primary to win the race, and then you had a very tough uh, election campaign. I mean, you ended up winning by quite a bit, but it was a very tough in terms of the smear campaigns that they that they ran against you. Um, but 
you know, why did you decide to run for office? What what, what made you decide to, to get out there and uh, and put your neck on the line, so to speak? Well, I didn't realize how much of my neck was going to be on the line. <laughs> well, politics. Um, but I ran uh, because I've always been engaged with um, uh, politics, not as a politician, but as an outsider, more as an activist. And I think my, my career as a public servant and working with people who are marginalized uh, got me engaged with the community grid, which I think is the only, in my opinion, the only way to address uh, economic, racial, um, and environmental justice in our city. And I think that without a strong urban environment, our, our suburbs are not gonna thrive. So uh, I got involved because my, um, the designee of the Democratic Party was uh, involved with Save 81. And uh, while I really did not have an interest in running, I could not let that happen in terms of um, my Democratic Party rep, uh, being represented by someone who didn't understand those issues around uh, the need for bringing down the viaduct and, and uh, righting the wrongs that um, urban renewal uh, laid upon our city. So that's why I got involved. And I never worked so hard in my life. <laughs> well, uh, but until you got in and you haven't stopped working since. And uh, no. <laughs> so you're part of uh, a six member minority. Uh, it, yeah. Obviously we're trying to flip the ledge. But uh, for the last few years, you've had to work uh, through the minority. What are some of the things that you wish that uh, you would that uh, the county would have done and listened to either you or the Democratic Caucus uh, that maybe some missed opportunities that we've had because we were in the minority? Well, I, I think the thing that really disturbs me disturbed me the most. I guess it shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. Is the lack of um, collaboration between Democrats and Republicans. Um, I know that ideologically Democrats are different from Republicans, but I, I guess I thought that there would be some opportunities to be able to have a robust discussion about the kinds of things that we want. So for example, one of the things I ran on was um, transparency and the need for live streaming of the county sessions and the committees. And the obstacles were enormous. And you know, I, I had, I had uh, proposed a couple of different times in a couple of different ways uh, that we might, by talking to people, not by making an actual proposal, but by talking with Republicans. And there just didn't seem to be a way until the pandemic and, um, county, and the county executive began to have his daily Facebook Live things. And I was like, bingo. Let's not worry. We don't have to worry about money. We don't have to worry about rewiring the uh, the uh, the chambers of the of the legislature. So um, I and my caucus put together a proposal to have live streaming, to use Facebook Live. We could have used a laptop right on the the, the front of the um, uh, chambers uh, in the committees. There is actually a shelf that would allow a laptop. And I had connected with IT saying that we could have a Bluetooth. We were all set, we got a proposal, it went through, it went, it got stamped into the legislature and it never got on the agenda. So when I asked the committee chair, how come? I was told we have our own. 
And I said, well, okay, why can't we have both on? It's a committee, let's have a, let's discuss. Nope, that's not the way it works. And I think that's a good example of what I have found is that um, the, the imposition of a power dynamic, we're in charge and we can't work together. And I think that's very discouraging and I don't think that that benefits the, the electorate. Yeah, I mean, that uh, seems to be a running, I've been talking to a few of the incumbents and that seems to be the run, running uh, thing right now is that it's not just that you're in the minority, it's that they're not even talking to you. They don't wanna, right. they, 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 you know, they, they won't consider any legislation that comes from you. And then, uh, if, and, and then when you do push for legislation, they then co-opt it, such as- oh, Good word. Know, the, the body cams and, and, the, uh, and the live streaming and make it a less effective version because they didn't really Correct. want to do it in the first place, but they get stuck having to do it. You know, the, the body camera thing was amazing to me because here are Democrats who are all about um, um, body cameras and police accountability and, you know, uh, and that we wound up, we could not be heard around the idea that it wasn't we were against it, the funding was inadequate and there hadn't been enough uh, discussion or review to be able to make a reasonable decision. But we were in the position of having to say no. And I had so many people say, how could you vote against that? Because it was, there was very little discussion to be able to make it clear. Yeah, and that was, that's a great example, Dustin. And you've been proven right because the body cameras still aren't being purchased. They still haven't. It's gone nowhere. They they had a a, a vote that uh, you know has not actually come to fruition because there's no force behind it. It was a, it was a Correct. vote to, for you know it seems like a vote to just get the issue behind them instead of solving the problem. It was a vote because um, the county executive and the sheriff got into a kerfluffle, and it became a power struggle again. We, keep, we continue to see power struggles that go to the detriment of the taxpayers. So what, what are some of the things that you have been able to get accomplished over the last couple of years? Uh, you know, maybe not legislatively, but uh, you know, working with your community. What are some of the things that you felt like uh, you know, you've, you've been glad you've been able to work on? What I, I keep thinking I haven't been able to do very much but what I think I've been able to do is by the use of social media and print media, Syracuse.com, um, to use my voice to let people know what's going on. So I can talk on social media about what has happened in the legislature. So I talked about the body cameras and why we made that uh, decision to vote against it. Um, and I can talk about uh, what went on and, and why things are stuck in the way that they are stuck. So uh, it's my focus on transparency, I think that I've been able to do. But the one thing I have been able to do, despite a lot of opposition, um, before I got on the legislature, uh, legislator Chris Ryan had been working on a, um, a bill called CPACE. And it was, it's a, 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 a law that would allow developers, including people who are rehabbing buildings or new developers now, who can um, apply for funding without any money down 100% of the funding is provided through the uh, funders of um, the economic uh, EIC, economic uh, something or other, I'll think of it later. Um, <laughs> they have funders how, that you apply for 
And then, so for example, you wanna put in, take out an old HVAC system and put in a, uh, a clean system. They last about 25 to 30 years. Your loan will last the length of time that your system lasts. And it's a low interest loan with no money down. A win-win for everybody. I was told that the county executive didn't want that and I shouldn't, I shouldn't bother with it. We went back and forth. Chris, Chris had started it. I picked up on it because he was doing a lot of other things and we pushed through. And finally, after a year and a half, um, by working with the Republican caucus, I was able to get it through. I was told that the county executive would veto it if it went through, but it went through with a 15 to two veto-proof majority. So it couldn't be. It's something that even Republicans want. That's what I'm saying. There's so many things that we could do that despite ideological differences, we can be on the same page. So anyway, it went through, but county executive would not sign it. According to the county charter, any law, local law that gets passed without a signature after 10 days becomes a local law. So it's a law. However, in order for any developer to make use of it, there has to be an intermunicipal agreement. So the uh, Energy Improvement Corporation, which is what the EIC is, um, yeah. becomes, <laughs> it becomes the agent of the county. So there has to be an intermunicipal agreement signed. The county executive tells us that he's too busy. Despite the fact that we have a developer in Skinny Atlas who is waiting on this, who has been approved through the financial agency, but is waiting for the intermunicipal agreement. So that kind of obstructionism, and because it's a Democrat putting something through, I guess, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. So frustration, incredible frustration in the service of why are we not helping our communities? And kind of that leads into my next question there is uh, because our funding has been in the news, uh, the American Rescue Plan funding. And oh, uh, you know, don't get me going. Well, no, I think I'm going to get you going. I want to get you going on this because I think we need to talk about it because it, it is something that is amazing to me that, especially in, I didn't know about this last, uh, uh, you know, thing with CPACE and why it was being held up and it's too busy, but not too busy for $20 million in a softball field uh, to be used, our, our federal COVID money for that. Or, or no, that's $25 million, $20 million um, to give to OSIDA to purchase homes uh, it, up around White Plains to, to have a business park for that developer. That's okay. Uh, and then $85 million for an aquarium out of, uh, uh, out, surplus. Of, you know, out of surplus funding. And all this you know, money that's being thrown around now, but uh, last year, the Democrats tried to get $2 million to to put on healthcare workers in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, that was shot down, it's too expensive. So uh, what, what are your thoughts about all of that? I think I know what your thoughts are, but I, um, I think I'm gonna give sure. you the space to tell the viewers what your thoughts are. Okay, <laughs> so uh, let me start with what you ended with. The, uh, when uh, Peggy Chase and our whole caucus asked for, so last, it was this time last year, this time last year, um, we were in the, you know, almost a year into, like eight months into the pandemic. So yes, things were really tight last spring, March of 2020. However, with federal stimulus money through the summer um, and um, what do you call the uh, unemployment uh, uh, additions, people started spending money. Now Onondaga County depends on 
on sales tax. So as people started spending, we knew that the sales tax was coming in. So that's why in the fall, uh, Peggy Chase and our caucus asked for one and a half million dollars to shore up the health department and uh, uh, DSS, the uh, Department of Social Services, particularly economic security, where people were hurting and there were, was more demand. And we were denied that. And uh, we were called tax and spend liberals. However, now this time, I wanna jump forward to 2021. We were told by the CFO now that they're anticipating up to a $60 million surplus, okay? Now let's go back to this time, 2020. We were told that we couldn't touch that 90 million, $89 million reserve funds. Nobody touched that. We couldn't, that's what we were asking the money to come from, figuring that things would be okay. There must have been a knowledge at this time last year, if they know now that we're gonna have 60 plus million, that there would have been $25 million surplus. But we didn't hear about that. We just heard that, no, we can't spend it because we're in a pandemic. The, the 2021 budget, however, they must have known at that point that didn't get approved till later on. And yet the cuts remained. That's why we now have a 60 plus million dollar surplus. So I'm gonna jump now to the surplus and the aquarium so that 25 from 2020, the 60 plus 60 or whatever from this year, there's 85 million. That money that is projected to be paid in cash by the county executive for an aquarium came on the backs of the county workforce. They worked their behinds off and many people wound up leaving. They were so stressed, the morale is poor. Um, so that the, the funds that are uh, proposed to be spent come from our county workforce. Now the American Rescue Funds. American Rescue Funds were, desi were um, designed to help people recover from the pandemic. Many municipalities used their reserve funds to support their services. We did not. So in those cases, those municipalities really could use funds for economic development because they had to replenish the reserve funds. Not only do we not have to replenish our reserve funds, we have a plethora. We have more in surplus than we had in our reserve fund. So the idea that we're using um, uh, rescue funds for a sports stadium, and then we can talk about the details of that, and for OSIDA, which is purchasing private homes to benefit a public corporation, um, I think is just immoral. And I wanna ask the Republican party, what happened to you? I thought we we're talking about the marketplace. I thought the marketplace is supposed to run things, but we're gonna have the government now run a sports field. What's gonna be the impact on local businesses that belong here, that live here? Why were they not included in the discussion about where are the needs? Can we partner? Can we have a public partner, private, a public private partnership? Um, if we weren't rushing into all these things, I think some of these things are a great idea but not with these funds and not at this time. The pandemic is still with us. People are still dying. I'm knocking doors with my mask on. We're not out of the pandemic. And I should shut up now. No, I don't think you should. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, because I, I think th that's part of the problem, right? Is that there are no community conversations about this 
Right. It's just all being decided. You know, first the, the ballpark was supposed to be on a brownfield in Syracuse and then moved out to Salina to an area where the the neighbors of that area, oh, who happen to be a wonderful candidate named Janet Rogers, who's running uh, in the 5th District, uh, you know, is a neighbor. And they've never even talked to any of the neighbors around there. So they don't even know if they, you know, if they want these fields and what impacts them. It is I can just, tell you that they don't because we've been getting lots of letters and I've gotten, I did, Jenna and I did a press conference. So uh, we, I've gotten phone calls uh, from neighbors wanting to know what can they do. Um, They're horrified by this idea that they were not included in the discussion. And what we haven't talked about is the 20 to 25 uh, senior softball leagues that currently have been for the last three to four decades there as well as little league fields, as well as I got a, um, an email from a Utica softball from Utica College who uses soft, uh, Hopkins Field as for their, because their little league and their uh, high school leagues play there to recruit. Yeah. So it's not like nothing's happening there. So we're, we're displacing someone, uh, someone, many ones from a place that has been in use to put something else in and with the idea that we'll put you somewhere else. And what many of those people have told me, if, you, if we lose our tournament season in 2022, they're gonna find someplace else to go and we don't know that we're gonna have it anymore. Right. So again, if we weren't rushing headlong into this, I think some of these ideas are really a nice idea. Why can't we have a discussion with the community? So, Speaking of discussions uh, with the community, uh, redistricting has uh, reared its ugly head uh, once again. Yes. I mean, last year, the Democratic caucus fought for an independent citizen redistricting commission. Uh, and despite the pledges, the Republicans shot it down. Right. And they promised that their process would be open and independent and transparent. And then they gave the caucus 48 hours notice that they were going to restart it. And by the time uh, this airs, we'll have had at least our first meeting. Who knows? Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, your district was named in the original 2010 articles as uh, the vulture taking the flight. And, uh, and, and, and kind of, uh, it was made to uh, elect uh, Danny Leica, who is the Syracuse, East Syracuse mayor. Um, and, you know, and it's one of those, and DeWitt itself, from where you're from, is chopped up into four different districts. And uh, um, so, you know, what are your thoughts on what's going on now with this redistricting process? What, you know, and, and what are you hoping that if Democrats can take majority, what, what you might be able to do? Well, if Democrats take the majority, I hope that we can take a really hard look at whatever maps come out of this. And if they are as unfair as the ones that we have right now, I hope that we can take them to court. And I don't know the process, but there must be something. That my district, it, which includes down to Woodchuck Hill Road in the area where there are McMansions. And on the other end of my district, I am working with the refugee community who are living in substandard homes filled with lead. In fact, several of my constituents have talked about um, Congolese community who came to America to be safe and their children have been lead poisoned here by the housing that we have. So 
back to the American Rescue Funds where perhaps we could use them for that. However, how do I have a community of common interest when I have people who have you know, um, $900,000 homes and people who are living in um, you know, lead-filled homes? That's what has to change. And if the, the new maps look like that, I hope that we can um, take them to court. And I think that we have through 2019 in our, in our, when I was running the first time, I think we've raised the consciousness of some people. And I think we can continue to do that as we look at the process that we're engaged in now to get more and more people. I, I think one of the things that has, has happened is that the county legislature has been a secret society. Uh, even being in there, I don't even understand it all yet, how it all works, what I'm supposed to do. I frequently make mistakes, say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Um, so I think by shining light, which is about the only thing I've been able to do is to shine a light on some aspects of it. But I think the redistricting can help people also shine a light on the unfairness of this and why nobody knows what the county does or how, you know, the county does a lot of good stuff. The county does the zoo, the county does uh, roads, they do all the parks. In the pandemic, the, uh, every, everybody was cooped up except the parks were used more than they ever were. So Highland Forest, Beaver, there's wonderful things that the county does. The, um, the stocking of the streams with the, um, the fish hatchery, this wonderful things at the county and people don't even know that. They don't know the good stuff either. So um, I think that the redistricting um, opportunity gives us a chance to let people know if we can get maps that actually have people understand what the county government can do for them, they would get more engaged. I, I think, well, there are avenues that if they push through partisan maps, but you know what, we're going to give them an opportunity to do the right thing. We're yes, gonna I was going to say, maybe the right thing will happen. That's, yeah. uh, you know, let's hope so. So, and, and that's my hope is being on the redistricting commission that I can convince them that a uh, pair maps that, uh, you know, I hope. bring community interests together, um, yep. you know, could, uh, it could benefit them as well, you know, I mean, the, but we'll see. I mean, there are all kinds of, you know, stuff that's be happening behind the scenes right now. To, to, and, and we'll see if uh, by this time when this airs, whether I feel better about this or not. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, and that's the thing you say that this is not just about Democrats. This is about Republican constituents are being left out, too. Yeah. You know, it's about every taxpayer wanting to know and have a say. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that happens also is that by bifurcating ourselves, where more of our Republican uh, taxpayers may live outside of the city and more of our Democrat may live inside the city, although I know that's changing. Um, I think there, that the city has been really shortchanged. And that was something that, you know, in my, my interest in the grid um, is really about bringing up our city, having a vital urban center, which I think is beginning to happen, really will do nothing but enhance the suburbs. So I, it, it's really for everybody. But the way that the, the conversation is going is, again, this bifurcation of, you know, who's in, who's out, who, winners and losers, instead of how can we all win? And we're all going to suffer. The, you know, the, as the grid comes in, and it is coming, there's the whole issue around DOT right now is not about should we have the grid or not. It's about we're having the grid. What are some design issues 
that would make it a better thing. That's what this is about right now. So yeah, it's going to happen and we're all going to suffer. It's going to be a mess for a while. Everybody. What, um, you, you've, uh, speaking of a mess, you, you and Bill Kinney have been at the, uh, at the forefront of an ethics complaint. Uh, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to make sure that you got some time to talk about this uh, because I, I think it's something that, you know, you got some paper coverage and all, but, but you're continuing to push it. And I, I, I guess I had asked that first, you know, explain why you put in this ethics complaint and why you believe that it's something worth pursuing. So the ethics complaint is based upon um, a district that Judy Tassone has held for 10 or 12 years. And Judy Tassone has sat there as a Republican. And, you know, once you are in as an incumbent, particularly with a name Tassone in that er in the area in Salina that she rec uh, represents, um, she has been a regular, you know, she has been there for uh, easily, uh, often without an, uh, a, a competitor or an opponent. However, this year, uh, she unfortunately had a stroke, a medical event, which precluded her from continuing. So now it's an open seat for the first time in more than a decade, which gives the Democrats an opportunity, especially given that our county has trended more blue than it had 10 years ago. So here's an opportunity for a Democrat. The Democrat that is running, Stefan Williams, um, was designated as a Democratic designee but also um, was endorsed by the Working Family Party. And there's only, each, uh, each uh, candidate can only have two lines. So he is on both the Democrat and the Working Family Party. The um, Republican candidate who wanted to get on both the um, conservative and the Republican lines only got the Republican line, Colleen Gunnett. Christina Fadden got the conservative line. So it was gonna be split, so a, a split vote, with the Democrat having two lines, the Republicans uh, having one and one. So may, gave, gave us a bit of an up, right, we thought. A couple of days after uh, Christina Fadden, um, who was the conservative candidate, sent in her signatures, remarkably and miraculously was given a job, a, a political appointment to a county position, giving then Colleen Gunnup both lines. That seemed a bit underhanded, to say the least. It seemed like election interference, which is against the law. Um, so while we talked about it in caucus, we talked about many people saw it as that. And I think Bill and I just decided you have to stop just seeing things and going, oh, isn't this terrible? This is, look what they do. We had to say something. So we wrote a letter to the County Ethics Commission and asked for an investigation. It took a month. We, we said what had happened and why we were asking for it. It took almost a month to get a response saying we need more information. So we wrote another response saying, well, we did tell you what, but let us go deeper now. And we cited the laws that might have been broken and alleged to have been broken. And then it took another month to get a response that said that this is beyond our purview and it was going to be referred to the district attorney's office. So that's a good thing because that says maybe it is something illegal. However, the district attorney's office is DA Fitzpatrick who sits on the ethics commission and the ethics commission already said, we don't think we can do anything about this. 
So that's where it sits right now. We also copied in the state attorney general and our local intergovernmental uh, um, office, John Moss. And um, we're still waiting. I did talk to the uh, Fitz, uh, DA Fitzpatrick two weeks ago, and he did say that he has uh, subpoenaed records from uh, the county executive's office. And we'll see, I, I haven't gotten back to him again. Um, interestingly, the, uh, the attorney general is coming to town. I'll be at a meeting with her tomorrow. I hope I have an opportunity to ask her if she's gotten our, um, our letters. So again, all we're asking for is an investigation. We did ask for, um, as I, when I spoke to the, um, the DA, I, uh, he said that he thought it would be very difficult to get any, any information on this. And I said, I agree. But the advantage of a district attorney or any kind of an attorney investigation is that there can be um, um, depositions under oath. So where people might say, no, had nothing to do with anything, when you're under oath, it's a felony if you lie. So that's what we are hoping that the investigation includes depositions. And if it turns out there's nothing, okay, there's nothing, but let's look at it. Right, I mean, that, uh, that's so important that you and Bill continue to uh, you know, go forward with the investigation, keep pushing it forward. I had no we idea have that- the most popular legislators on the legislature, I must Well, say. unpopular with some. Uh, very popular with your constituents, and, uh, and, and that's what counts. Um, but uh, so, you know, we're getting about that half hour mark where I like to kind of start wrapping these uh, interviews up. But I always wrap up with uh, what haven't we talked about? What are some issues that maybe I haven't been able to talk with you about or uh, something you want the, the viewers, listeners to know going into uh, this fall's election? Okay, I try not to take the next half hour, but <laughs> I was, the, um, I was a, um, the chair of a subcommittee of the police reform um, that the county, that all of New York State was mandated to do. So, and the, the subcommittee that I chaired was about non-criminal calls of the police, which frequently are about mental health or addiction. So um, we had a, a really wonderful uh, committee that included um, the chief of police of DeWitt and included uh, mobile mental health people through, um, through Liberty Resources, CPAP, uh, NAMI, which, are, uh, which is an advocacy organization. Uh, we had uh, uh, people from the um, Auburn prison who, 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 is a, who do mental health within the prisons. So it had a really wide ranging committee. And some of the, the recommendations that we were made and which were passed by the legislature I feel have not been acted upon. Uh, particularly the, the major recommendation we came with was for the county to really support with additional funds, mobile mental health. Liberty Resources has already had um, uh, memorandums of understanding with a number of local police departments where when there appears to be a mental health issue, they will respond along with the police. The other person that we had on our committee was the commissioner of 911. And she was very enthused about this. And there is a model out of Broome County where they're already doing this, where at 911, they can begin to sort. If something seems like just a particularly mental health issue, they will send out a mental health team. If it is something that may include mental health, but may be dangerous, they send out both police and, and mobile mental health. 
which seems like a really robust and exciting way to begin to look at the way that we've been asking police officers to be social workers, mental health providers, and that's not what they signed up for. We should be using our mental health services to, in, to support our police department. That has not, we haven't gotten that. I asked for some of our rec, uh, American Rescue Funds to be used for that, to have um, Liberty Resources for, have a two year demonstration project, fully fund them for 24 seven um, response with police, have included in that data collection so we can look at how it worked and then take a look at how we can, how we should move forward. The answer was no. So um, that's something I will continue to be looking forward to. The other thing is lead poisoning, issues of lead in our community. Um, during the pandemic, we had children and families locked up in substandard housing that I've talked about before, lead infused, and these children have been in those homes for 12 to 18 months. One, I worked some with uh, Families for Lead Freedom Now, and with them, we put together a uh, proposal to have a lead bus. Let's get a, a mobile lead testing unit to go into these communities to test the children. Um, part of the problem has been that New York State has stopped allowing lead testing during WIC or Women in Infant and Children programs. They used to do the lead testing there. For some reason, the state has stopped that. So many children are falling under the cracks. Pediatricians are supposed to do this. However, often parents will take their children to a pediatric appointment, then they have to go to another lab. So they've waited a while. The children are fussing. They're not happy. They've just gotten injections. Now they got to go somewhere else and wait for another needle. Often doesn't happen. That was also um, refused. So things like um, lead, and you know, that brings me to a robust public health system. Our public health system has been cut year after year after year, including during the pandemic. That, that cannot continue to stand. And I'm hoping that with my big mouth and with a democratic majority, that we can get the public to demand more of a robust public health infrastructure that would, uh, would serve our community. So, I would like to see, and I think with a democratic majority, we can get a better balance of service and economic development. It, the economic development is very important, obviously. We need jobs, we need tax money, but we have to have the services. We're out of balance, I think. And I would like the democratic majority to bring us closer to be back in balance. Yeah, and you know, I just, I, I gotta bring this up again, that the democratic majority or minority Try to bring back healthcare workers during the pandemic. Yes. Two million dollars that you were rejected. One and, and a half million. And they one said and a half. One and a half million. And you were rejected, and uh and, and yet our staffing levels are still at some of the lowest that we've ever been at. And uh that uh and now we have a federal investigation into whether those overworked healthcare workers we're paid proper overtime. And that's why you see the county union, CSEA, which is never all, you know, everybody's like, oh, unions are Democrats, but CSEA local has not always endorsed Democratic uh, candidates. In fact, endorsed many of the Republicans uh, that sit on the county legislature and in the county exec in the last go round. But uh, now they're endorsing Democrats because their members are hurting and they're not being listened to. 
I, and one final thing, again, I can't stop talking. When I was knocking okay. doors today, I'm sorry. Um, so I, one of the doors I knocked on was a woman who worked Salvation Army, who's funded by DCFS, uh, the Department of Children and Family Services. Um, and they do uh, visitation visits for uh, children who are in foster care. And she was talking about the, how overworked the staff are. And so the, the, the investigation is not about health, it's about uh, social services and uh, Division of Children and Family Services. And she was talking about how bad she feels about how, how overworked and how difficult the morale is over there. And they do such good and hard work. Um, that she's afraid more and more people are going to be leaving, and it's a, a vital and important service. So yeah, everybody knows it, um, yet we can't get the funding. Um, we've got to stop with um, the uh, going after the shiny objects like uh, aquariums and sports field. They are important in their place, not when we're when we are coming out of and not out of a pandemic. Period. Well, Mary, thank you so much. You're for coming welcome. on. You're a fine representative and a fighter and uh, a friend. And I, I really uh, appreciate the work you do on the county ledge fighting for uh, transparency and, uh, and, and, and better funds for the average citizen. So thank you very much for coming on again. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to go on and on and on. Um, <laughs> well, uh, we're coming to the end of the program. So I remind you that the Delta variant is still out there. It is still wreaking havoc in our community. So please get the vaccine. If you are eligible to get the vaccine, that is the best way to keep yourself and your family safe. And if you can get a booster, get your booster. Uh, because, uh, you know, we need uh, as many vaccinated people in our community to get these numbers down. I also encourage you to wear a mask indoors. Uh, you must wear a mask, by the way, going to a hospital or on public transportation or a school. And this fall, you will have to wear a mask if you're voting in person at any of our polling places in Onondaga County, because many of them are schools and town buildings that already require that. So we're requiring it at every polling place. So please wear, and we are a high transmission uh, area, one of the highest in the nation right now, and uh, our the CDC and the State Board of Elections recommends masking at polling places. So we're going to do that here in Onondaga County. So thank you um, again to Mary Coon, uh, our, our guest today. And please remember to go out and vote. You can get an absentee, uh, but, but you have to come in person and get that absentee at this point. Uh, early voting is ongoing uh, and you can get all your information at onvote.net, and hopefully uh, we'll break some records for local elections this year. I always hope to be busy, and I hope you will make me so. So I'll see you uh, later, and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. Thanks.